Welcome to the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. I'm Mona, and I was married for 30 years in that relationship for 32. And we have an amazing 25-year-old daughter. She's doing fantastic. And I've been divorced for about four years. Today, I have a very special guest on the podcast, my dear friend, Michelle. Michelle, say hi. Hello, everyone. And Michelle and I have been um, friends for, gosh, almost 15 years now. And we both have experienced a lot of interesting things in our relationships and then on various dating apps. So Michelle sent me the article that was in Psychology Today titled The Rise of Lonely Single Men dating apps, and a drastically changing relationship landscape by Greg Motos. And it came out on August 9th, 2022. And when she sent it to me, I think both of us had little light bulbs that went off in our heads, wondering um, how many of the men on the dating apps are actually on the spectrum. And we've had this conversation numerous times, right, Michelle? Numerous, numerous times. (laughs) And it is fascinating. So one of the things that I've been promising to do for Michelle, and now I'm doing it with Michelle, is an episode of the podcast so that folks that are dating and wondering if the person they're dating is on the spectrum there might be some things that they might be seeing that would help them at least have a conversation about being neurologically different. Does that make sense, Michelle? It makes total sense. And I think it would be very beneficial for lots of folks out there that are dating people, that they're wondering. Um, I know I was recently in a relationship with someone where I was taking things personally. and, And later on, when I spoke with you, you said, I think he's on the spectrum. And it just, everything just kind of aligned and it made sense. It's like, of course, that's what I'm seeing. I mean, it was like really a light bulb moment. So I think this could really be beneficial for a lot of people. I agree. I couldn't agree more. And I guess I've become like the person that people come to when they have a question about somebody they're dating. And I'm like, yeah, he's probably on the spectrum. And they're like, oh, what does that mean? So that's what this episode is going to be all about. So Michelle, you talked about... um not knowing that you shouldn't be taking personal some of the things that that particular guy was doing. So let's start with that piece, because I think it's really important for folks that are dating. If the person that you're talking to is a really black and white thinker, and they're very blunt in their conversation, whether it's in texting, on the phone, or in person, and they're very matter-of-fact about things, that could be a sign, one of the many, that they might be on the spectrum. Because conversation, for a lot of folks who are on the spectrum, is transactional. It's about sharing information, not necessarily connecting the way both Michelle and I are social workers. So we don't know how to do anything but connect on a very deep level emotionally. What we live for, yeah. (laughs) So for a lot of folks on the spectrum, if they're talking about their special interest, which could be, you know, anything from A to Z, you're going to get a very deep, intense conversation that's filled sometimes with a lot of passion. But if that's not your special interest you might get lost in that conversation. Does that make sense? Yes, it totally makes sense. <laughs> I'm, drawing, I'm drawing upon, again, the relationship that I referenced before, where he was very, very into um, video games and Dungeons and Dragons and things like that. And I'm like, you're speaking like a whole other language. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm trying to be like enthusiastic and supportive, but I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but that's probably where I saw the most of his passion mm-hmm. was when he was talking about those things that were like in his wheelhouse. So, Yeah, and I think that that's what makes the first few dates or the texting on a dating app or texting in real life so um, different sometimes because especially if you're not having a conversation by text 
and there's a lot of time between the texts. That also is an interesting thing to look out for because I think that a lot of folks who are on the, on the spectrum need time to think about their responses. And when you're on a dating app, it's really easy to take a day or even two to respond back to questions, right? Or to provide information when you're comfortable doing it. So do you see on some of the dating apps you're on, Michelle, any of the guys taking a while to respond and then sending a really thoughtful, you know, maybe complete message? Do you see that? I've seen both where the message is thoughtful or where the message is short, but where they may take a while. Again, the person that I was seeing, he sometimes I would wonder, like, are we still even talking to each other? Because <laughs> it's been quite a while since I sent that last, me- last, the last message. And you don't want to pester people or pressure them and all that. So I'd be sitting there, you know, with bated breath, biting my nails, waiting for this, for this response to come through which didn't necessarily come through in the time that I thought was appropriate, you know, because I'm, I like kind of like the ping pong or tennis match kind of thing. I send you a message, you send it back. I send you one, you send it back. And it just didn't work like that. That yeah. wasn't his reality. He did need a lot more time to process information and form his response and all that. And I just wasn't used to it. And again, at first, before I had, you know, reframed it in, in the context of him potentially being on the spectrum, I was taking it as, well, he's not interested, he's moved on to somebody else, he doesn't really want to talk to me, or he's just incapable of communicating, you know, all these things that, you know, I created this story around, which may not have been um, accurate or appropriate, when it may more likely have just been the fact that he was very likely on the spectrum. Yeah, yeah, based on some of the other things that you shared with me, and this this episode isn't about making assumptions, it's actually about understanding uh, neurology and that somebody that might very much be interested in you just might have a different way of communicating and a lot of other different things that you're not used to if you've never been with somebody on the spectrum. And so instead of judging and being closed off or thinking, oh my gosh, this is so different or weird than what I've experienced in the past, Hopefully this episode will open up folks to maybe ask questions and get curious and have a conversation that allows them to understand how this relationship could go somewhere positive rather than ending it because it's so different from what you've experienced in the past. So I want to get into something that I think is really important for both of us and is something we've seen with various guys that we've dated, and that's the sexual and physical intimacy piece. And this is going from communication to the opposite end, but I think this is really important because one of the things that I've seen over and over again with men who are on the spectrum, whether they know they're on the spectrum or they're officially diagnosed or undiagnosed, is that many of them have a different way of being sexually. They may have sensory sensitivities. They may only want to be having sex in a particular position. In a pati- Michelle's shaking her head. You've got to say what's on Yes. Because <laughs> nobody can see you. Nobody Michelle. can see me. I'm nodding my head. Yes, She's yes. All the head. things. All the things are true. So tell, tell. Tell our listeners what you experienced. Okay, so, you know, my reference point again, same person. Um, He could be very physically intimate and passionate in one place at, you know, as long as it was kind of prescribed that, okay, we are now going to be intimate. Then we would walk into his bedroom and, you know, things would commence and he needed things to be a certain way and... He could only stand so much intimacy for so long. Mm-hmm. So it didn't matter how much I thought he liked me or how, you know, passionate or satisfying the encounter was. After about two hours, he had had about enough. <laughs> right. And he was like, mm, wow, it's getting late. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's only 630 in the afternoon. <laughs> he was like ready for me to go. He just could not handle more than that. Right. Um, and, our, you know, the first time they were in, that we were intimate... He would actually manage to manage to move it back out to the living room, and we sat and watched a movie. But he couldn't. I wanted a kiss, like he hadn't kissed me since we were in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And he kind of looked at me like, "Well, almost like, 
well, we don't kiss in the living room. <laughs> we kiss in the bedroom where the intimacy happens. And it took some effort for him to actually mm-hmm. give me a real kiss in the living room while we're watching a movie. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I thought that was really bizarre. But that was just sort of how he processed things. Like, there's a time and a place for everything. Mm-hmm. And this is not the time or the place for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was... Yeah, and then you talked to me, and I told Mm -hmm. you that a lot of people on the spectrum may have rules. Mm -hmm. And those might be social rules. Those might be life rules. They they may be things that they've never shared with anybody else. But it's in their minds, and they cannot break those rules. And I think if you're on the spectrum and you're listening to this, I think it's really important for you to be able to communicate that to somebody that you're in a romantic or an intimate relationship with. And I'll give you an example. So a guy I met on a dating app and he may be listening because I got him turned on to the podcast and then he had the realization that he was autistic after listening to my podcast. Um, He had specific requirements for what could come into his bedroom and how you could come into his bedroom. And he shared that with me, I think the first time we either texted or talked and he asked, is this a deal breaker? And I said, no, it's not a deal breaker. He goes, because it has to be this way for me. There's no options. And I knew immediately that he was on the spectrum. He didn't know yet, but he did. By the time we talked a few times, he said, do you think I am? And I said, well, probably. <laughs> Hell yes, she was thinking, but was being polite. But he learned so much from the podcast, which was wonderful, and he kept listening to it. So maybe he'll he'll listen to this episode, and he'll know I'm talking about him, but I'm not going to mention him by name. <laughs> so, so here's another thing that's really important, that um, you and I, Michelle, can understand that the people we're talking to have different perspectives than us. We can appreciate it, we can value it, we may be judging them in our heads, but we can also listen with curiosity and whatever. And hopefully we will not be judging them in our heads, but you know, we're normal. I mean, we're, we're healthy, you know, uh, thinking individuals, so we all judge each other. But, but I think what's really important for folks to know is that some folks on the spectrum have difficulties putting themselves in like somebody else's shoes and seeing things from the other person's perspective. Like I remember my, my ex um, could not understand. He just literally couldn't understand how I could do certain things the way that I could do them. He just couldn't ever imagine being able to do them. Like one of the things was I could go into the kitchen and I could put together a meal in 15 minutes from just pulling stuff out of the refrigerator. He needed all the ingredients for whatever he was going to make. He needed to make sure they were there. Then he needed to put them together. He needed to not have a timeline for when dinner needed to be ready. And then he needed to take as long as it took for dinner. And usually it was like a few hours of cooking because he really enjoyed being a perfectionist, which I loved. But have you ever noticed with some of the guys that you've met that it's hard for them to understand your perspective or the way in which you're viewing things, like their ways, the only way they can see. Yes, but then, you know, you and I are rare birds. So sometimes <laughs> it, it goes through the filter of, okay, they're, they're a guy and maybe they think differently than I do. Um, Cause I usually come from sort of an emotional, like, deep thinker maybe overthinker kind of perspective and and like maybe guys are a little bit more you know it doesn't have to be that involved Mm -hmm. and intricate like Mm -hmm. it's a simple thing um so sometimes the way that I'm looking at things is often different than some of the people that I'm dating like for instance just the idea of like we're talking about the communication you know if I send you a text that has a question in it I'm expecting an answer (laughs) (laughs) and a quote-unquote timely you know, and, you know, some reasonable amount of time that it's going to come back, like right. a, a few hours barring, like, you I already know that you're out doing something or you're at work or something like that. But to take two days to respond to a question seems a little unreasonable for me. Yeah. And, you know, for that person, it may not be unreasonable at all. Right. So, 
um, navigating those waters are sometimes that's sometimes tricky unless yeah. you know who you're dealing with. Right. You know? Right. And I think, you know, Michelle and I are in our 50s. So we remember when dating was actually done in person first. You'd meet somebody in person. There weren't dating apps when we were growing up. Right. And you could see somebody face to face in real life, IRL, and have a drink with them, dance with them, talk with them, and get to know what kind of person they were. Whereas with the dating apps, you're talking by text and you're not sure, first of all, if they're the person that they're saying they are, but let's just assume that they are. There's a lot of delay oftentimes in the response, especially when somebody I think is on the spectrum because they're trying to make sure that their response is accurate, correct. It's going to be the response that you're looking for, especially if they're really interested in you. So it may take a while and it takes a while to kind of think through things and make decisions um, because I think a lot of folks on the spectrum want to get it right. For them, it's really, really important where I'll, I'll make a mistake more than once and I learn from it and I move on. How about you, Michelle? Oh, certainly. <laughs> Definitely. What's interesting to me, though, is how they will be very thoughtful in their response and want to get it right. But then when they actually, you know, tell you what their rules are, for instance, like, you know, how you had to enter that gentleman's bedroom in order for him to be okay with it. And the same person with same thing with the person I was dating. When you drive up to his house, you will sit in the driveway and then you will call me or you will text me and then I will come out and get you. You can't just like walk up to his door and knock on it and expect to be let in. Literally, this was like a thing with him. So very thoughtful in some regards, but then in other ways, it's like, do you not see how that could be off-putting to the person you're saying that to that it's like you are not allowed in my home I really it almost feels like I really don't want you here but I will break this rule for you to let you in under very very specific circumstances and rules that I have set forth and you dare not break them so it, it's interesting to me how they want to make sure that things come off very right they can be very perfectionistic but then on the other hand they could be so perfectionistic that they then aren't cognizant of how they're coming across to people and how um, distancing mm -hmm. their behavior mm -hmm. can be. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, it's a great point. And in the world of diversity, we call that um, theory of mind or mind blindness. That's where folks who are on the spectrum can't see the forest for the trees so um and and it can be it can be very off-putting so for those folks that are listening i think one of the things that's really important is not to take things personal whether you're the autistic partner or the non-autistic partner and to ask questions so when the guy told you you had to sit in your car before you could come in you had to text him or call him tell him that you were in the driveway it might have been an opportunity for you to say, can you help me understand why this is important to you? Because I've never experienced this before and I want to make sure that I understand what your needs are in this situation. And so Mona, before understanding neurodiversity, would have screamed, what the heck? I'm not <laughs> sitting in my car waiting for you to come get me. You know, I would never have. But now understanding different neurology... I'm going to ask those questions if it's somebody I'm interested in. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think one of the other things that's really interesting is the socializing piece. And you touched a little bit on this when you said after the two hour limit at this guy's house, he was ready for you to leave. Mm -hmm. That was it. Like he didn't want you to spend the night. Right. No. And, <laughs> and, and he and he would say, you know, you know, I don't know how you're going to take this, but I, you know, he would, he would start start referencing, oh, the time, oh, it's getting kind of late, you know, you know, don't take it personally, but, you know, I'm really, I have to wake up early for work. Like, things that didn't make sense when it, the sun is still out. <laughs> <laughs> the sun is still out. Why are you telling me how tired you are, you are and then you have to go to work the next day? Um, the other thing that's, that was interesting about him is he had decided to give up penetrative sex. Mm -hmm. Um 
And you were the one that helped me sort of understand that maybe that might have been a sensory overload issue for him because he had made that conscious decision. And me, I have to say, because I didn't want to um, make him feel uncomfortable. I didn't want to insult him. I didn't want to make him feel weird. I didn't really ask him, like, because I'm like, who does that? Right. <laughs> why, why would you give up penetrative sex? It's right. like, amazing. Like, right. why would you do that? <laughs> right. um, but talking to you helped me sort of go go through that. But I actually never brought it up with him. And I'm hoping that maybe as a, as a result of this podcast, it will open up compassion and conversations mm-hmm. um, with your partner or potential partners later in life where you can actually you know, have the courage to talk about it because I wish I had asked the question. I would have liked to hear the answer from him instead of sort of figuring it out with you. I I wish I had had that conversation with him because obviously he had a valid reason of his own. Right. Um, But to me, it just seemed weird at the time. And I didn't, I wasn't looking at him through potentially the lens of him being on the spectrum. I was looking at him as being, someone who is putting me in all these boxes and where there were all these boundaries that I had and I wasn't sure if he actually liked me or not. Mm-hmm. So again, where you're saying not take, don't take it personally. I was taking personally, but right. now hopefully the people listening to this kind of podcast that they'll see that it maybe isn't you. Right. It really doesn't have to always be something you did or didn't do. It may just be that that person has valid reasons of their own and it can open up a conversation. Yeah. I so agree because sensory sensitivities are real. And I know one of the guys that I dated said to me that he had never had sex without a condom. And at the time, I didn't ask why. I mean, we're in our 50s. You know, to never have sex without a condom seems unusual. You know, it's not like uh, people aren't on birth control and have other ways of, of protecting themselves or, you know, other types of birth control. So um, I do wonder, now that I know he is probably on the spectrum, I do wonder if that was because of the fluids and keeping everything cleaner by wearing condoms. But I'll never know because we didn't have that conversation. So these are all things that we can have conversations about. However, I know it can be difficult sometimes for folks on the spectrum to talk about personal stuff and to talk about emotional stuff. So I want to talk about that a little bit because one of the guys that I was um, seeing during my separation, he liked to have me process my day with him and he would call me every day and we would talk. But anytime I started asking him a question about his day or his life or his family. He's like, no, 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 no. We're not talking about me. We're talking about you. (laughs) Michelle's shaking her head. So Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I I experienced that also where this person could could be the best friend of everybody. Listen, you know, with open ears, open heart. But then when you turn it around, because I'm a person, you know, we're both social workers. So I ask questions to understand, to you know, get a feeling for who this person is and how they tick. And it's it's one of the joys of my life is learning about people through yeah. asking questions about them. And so mm-hmm. I would ask questions about him and he was like, not really down with that. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't really want to disclose that much information. He which was much more comfortable being the recipient of information than sharing his personal information. So that was also different for me, also a big adjustment because that's not normally my way in the world Mm -hmm. is to not have that reciprocal, you know, back and forth kind of exchange. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was very pleasant and very articulate and, you know, in other ways. I mean, he could definitely express himself very well, very intelligent person. But from an emotional standpoint, that just wasn't his jam. He wasn't going to give you much information. Um, yeah, I think that that is something that uh, it's more than just being a man. I think for both men, women, and bi- uh, non-binary folks, I think I've heard over and over again that emotions are hard. And it's not because um, people on the spectrum don't feel emotions. In fact, Sometimes I think they feel emotions more than we do, um, in especially in certain situations, but they don't necessarily 
understand the emotions that they're having. And so because they don't understand the emotions, they'd rather not address them, talk about them, process them, because it's so uncomfortable and can be very anxiety producing and can create what we call a meltdown or a shutdown. And I saw that in several relationships that I had with autistic men, I saw both shutdowns and meltdowns. So for those folks that are listening, we'll talk a little bit about that. So a shutdown, you know, if you're seeing somebody and you meet them on a dating app (laughs) and they do what Michelle talked about, you're having a great conversation, maybe for a week, maybe for days, really thoughtful responses, and then they're gone. And then a week later, you hear from them. That may be a shutdown. Um, That may be that they were on emotional overload or there's a lot of other things going on in their life. And instead of communicating clearly, they're just going to shut down, do their own thing, reduce their anxiety, take care of themselves and come back when they're ready. And that's a challenge, especially on these dating apps. (laughs) So thoughts on that? Any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, to me, this it kind of leads into the article that we'd started off at the top of this segment talking about where, you know, women are wanting more and more for men to be emotionally available and communicative and share similar values in order to consider them to be, you know, an appropriate partner, a suitable partner, um, someone that they would consider being even compatible on a baseline level. Um, and so... When you're talking about about someone who's potentially on the spectrum, who's having difficulty communicating in regular intervals or in a thoughtful manner where they're you know, able to answer questions like we talked about earlier, even before we started um, uh, taping this, about someone who had difficulty having three questions come at him at the same time. Right. Like only one at a time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want multiple questions coming at me where... That's kind of my way. And again, it's kind of the social worker way to right. ask a lot of questions because right. you're trying, trying to understand. So when you're talking about being on a dating app and you might be encountering, you know, a person who might be on the spectrum and they are not able to communicate in the ways that feel good to you when you're looking for someone who you want to partner with, that's going to potentially leave a lot of people out. Mm-hmm. Um and that's why the title of the article is what the what the the, yeah, the rise of lonely single men dating apps and a drastically changing relationship landscape. I agree with you. So women, you know, those of us that are not autistic, um, are looking for an emotionally available man. Man, a lot of the time, we're looking for somebody who's emotionally intelligent. And I think being I'm I'm almost fifty nine, and you're in your mid fifties. So. I think one of the things that I'm seeing over and over again with these men who I'm meeting on the dating apps is they've been married and some have been in long-term relationships or marriages, like 20 or more years. They have children who are adults and they've just recently been divorced. And I'm wondering how many of those men are on the spectrum and they, they stayed in the relationship either by choice of them or their wife until their kids went to college and then they divorced because they just weren't compatible emotionally socially and in other ways but they never knew they were a neurodiverse couple i really do think that that is something that's happening and the more i talk to these men in their 50s who have been in that situation I can tell you, and, and these are the stereotypes, but they're engineers, they're in IT, they're in business, they're in finance, or they're really creative souls. They're artists, they're musicians, they've been, been struggling, um, and they don't know they're autistic. They don't know, and now they're trying to find another relationship, um, and many of them say no drama. <laughs> They don't want somebody who's going to be emotionally too much for them, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's so, so interesting. Any other thoughts before we go? Well, the- I think that for um, someone who's autistic, that a woman or a person who is very 
emotionally open and expressive can be overwhelming. Absolutely. Just like too much like fire hose to the face. Right. It's just like, <laughs> hey, pump your brakes, lady. Like it's just too much. Yes. Um, so just being aware of that. Um, I think being in a relationship with in a neurodiverse relationship, I imagine there has to be compassion on both sides. Yes. Like one person might have to back down their normal responses and the other one might have to beef up their normal responses in order to meet in the middle and have like a satisfying coupling, you know, yes. that feels good to both of them. It's going to take a little bit of, you know, give and take. But I agree. I agree. And I think as we get older, it's harder to give as much. And I think for a lot of folks, it may be more comfortable to not be in a relationship, a long-term relationship, to just have hookups or to just talk to people on dating apps and never meet them. So I want to talk a little bit about that piece because I know one of the things that I've experienced in every single one of my neurodiverse relationships, and I saw this with my mom and dad um, who were in a neurodiverse relationship, is social quotas, meaning that I can go out and socialize with my friends for hours upon hours upon hours. I can go away for a weekend or, you know, take a trip and I love it. You know, we go to museums, we go to the beach, we go, you know, out to drink, we go dancing. However, somebody that is on the spectrum may have um, a very different social quota than you and me, Michelle. And so it goes back to not taking it personal. So if you plan, let's say, a date and you go to dinner and they may have agreed to go dancing after dinner, but after the hour and a half conversation with Mona and Michelle, who are social workers and want to talk about a lot of deep things that involve emotions, they might not have anything left. So even though they said, yeah, I'll go dancing or yeah, I'll go listen to live music, all of a sudden it's like, I'm really tired. <laughs> I have to get up tomorrow and go to work. Yes, go to work. <laughs> Thoughts? Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, like I said, I think, you know, for a person who's on the spectrum, human emotional interaction with depth um can be draining it can be even for an introvert right just the yeah. regular garden variety yeah. introvert which uh, i actually consider myself to be an introvert in the true sense of it where i i get more energy from being by myself and recharging than being around a group of people so even just the garden variety introvert it mm -hmm. can be exhausting but then if you add someone who's also on the spectrum it can it can be a lot to like yeah. be on you know, for a length of time and then they may have expended all their energy and now it's like, I can't, I can't move to the second phase of this, you know, this date or this interaction because I've, I've spent all I had already. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that can, again, feel personal and you're, you're wondering, and I've heard this from other women who've told me about guys they've gone out with and I'm like, mm, I wonder if he was on the spectrum. I might not say that to them, but I wonder because they've had such great times and the dates have been fantastic, but they literally ghost them and there's no rhyme or reason to it. And I think in some cases, of course, I'm not gonna generalize, but I'm just putting this out there as like food for thought. It may be that the person realized they can't match the social quota or the social needs of this person who wants to go out for dinner drinks and dancing yeah, they can't keep up with that <laughs> they can't keep up with right. that it's funny that you mentioned that because actually going back in my history i've had that happen to me several times mm -hmm. where the person seemed very very interested very invested in like this particular interaction that we we're having at this moment and they're even complimentary like wow i've been looking for somebody like you i can't believe they're like you're single it's like all these things and then gone like in the wind <laughs> never heard from them ever again i'm like okay were they lying did i make it up in my head that i heard that no like what what happened so even hearing you say that i was like oh but this was you know when i've had these experiences this was years and years ago before i, I think i even really had any understanding of what being on the spectrum was but now that kind of makes sense mm -hmm. to me now yeah. that i'm hearing that because and i think that's really frustrating for a lot of women because I'm not the only one that's experienced that. I've heard that from women before. Yeah, me too. Where it's like, 
it was amazing and we seemed compatible and things were going great and and then never heard from this person again and there could be other reasons besides them being on the spectrum but that's certainly another valid reason to consider and also another reason not to necessarily take it personally that you did something wrong or or you know was my breath bad did i look ugly like (laughs) what happened it's like not necessarily you it's not necessarily you right so right and you may never know the reason you were ghosted or the reason they were totally into you and then you haven't heard from them in months and then they get back in touch with you and i know the term narcissist is circulated through social media like you know it's nothing and i think that the fact of the matter is there's probably a lot of folks who are on the spectrum who get the who get termed narcissist but they're not it's just that they're trying to protect their own emotional health their social health their you know they have sense sensory issues that they may not feel comfortable talking about you know as much as they want to go to the bar with us or they want to go dancing with us they can't handle the loud music or they can't handle the flashing lights but they're almost afraid to share it because they've been judged in the past or whatever so again this is an opportunity to be not only non-judgmental but very compassionate and filled with grace when you don't understand something to ask a question in a kind considerate way explaining that you want to understand your your new partner the person that you're meeting and understand what what they need in this particular situation why they're sharing that or why they're communicating that i have a question for you yeah so what if someone was in a relationship with someone that they believed to be on the spectrum or they knew was on the spectrum maybe that person would better respond if there was a certain way that the person asked the question. Can you ask that person? I want to get to know you. I want to understand you more. How do I do that Mm -hmm. in a way that feels comfortable for you so that you yield the best results? Can you do that? And how do you do that? Michelle, that's why we're social workers. The way you worded that was absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And I think... I think if we could all do that more, I really like you. I always say I run two support groups for neurotypical non-autistic partners and they tell me, you know, my partner or my husband or my spouse will not respond to me. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. I said, okay, tell me how you've communicated to them what you need or what you want. And they're like, usually it turns into a screaming match. I'm like, okay, if that was the way you were being responded to or, or you were, somebody was starting a conversation with you, how would you feel? You'd probably shut down or you'd walk away or you'd scream back. So starting out, I always say starting out with something positive, like, I really have enjoyed going out with you. I really enjoyed getting to know you. And I hear that it's really important for you to only go out once a week for two hours at a time. And that's really your limit. And I just want to understand why that is so important to you. Because I really like you and enjoy spending time with you. And I want to be respectful of your needs. I mean, I think it would be so much easier for somebody, whether they know they're on the spectrum or not, to respond because they feel like you're asking in a very respectful, non-judgmental, compassionate way. And from a place of genuinely wanting to connect with them in an right. authentic way, um, I think most people would probably respond well to that. I also wanted to say, I I get that some people may be thinking like, well, how come I have to do all this work? Like, you know, like right. <laughs> I'm putting a lot of work in here to be with this person. I don't think of it as work. Think of it, think of it as a bridge to understanding, yeah. a way to better connect with the person that you want to be with. Obviously, you're only going to do these things for somebody that you think is worth it Absolutely. or potentially worth it. Someone right. that you want to get to know, someone that you might build a relationship with, where you see the, the glimmers and glimpses of compatibility, right. where you want to see like how far can this go. That's where you're going to put the effort in. Probably right. not going to be just like whoever, some dude at a bar or whatever. <laughs> it's going to be the person you think, I might be able to have a relationship with this person i see something good right so then don't think of it as work think of it as you know i'm i'm investing Mm -hmm. in this potential relationship and so you know it might be worth it in the end so just like be patient and be kind and be open um and usually people will respond to that yeah i i agree and if they don't they're probably not a good match for you because 
I think um, one of the things that I think is really important is for those of us that are not autistic to understand that there's a whole history behind all of us. And if you are autistic and don't know it, and you've been bullied, so think about all these things I'm going to share. You've been bullied your entire childhood, maybe your teenage years, and maybe even as an adult, okay? You've had women tell you you were not so nice as, as far as, you know, you're a nerd, you're a geek, you don't understand, you're insensitive, you're blunt, you're so black and white, you're so rational, whatever. Um, and you've been hurt over and over and over again. No matter how much you try, you're not, you know, getting through or you're not making inroads. At some point, you're not going to be totally open. And that is going to affect the person you are when you're dating new people. And some of the bullying and some of the abuse and some of the hurt may have been in your previous marriage for 20 some odd years. And I always say I'm very honest about this on the podcast. I'm raising my hand. I absolutely screamed at my ex-husband when he you know, would shut down or when he wouldn't call me or text me for hours and hours and hours and I had texted him and called him and he didn't respond when he'd make unilateral decisions without discussing an issue with me that affected both of us or affected our family. And he didn't understand why I got so upset, but there were things that needed to happen, I thought, in my marriage that weren't happening. Now I understand why. Um, and those were things we needed to talk about, but we didn't know we were a neurodiverse couple. So it was definitely challenging. So one of the, I think, last things that I want to talk about, and we're talking about in dating situations, this doesn't necessarily apply the same way if you're married to somebody or living with them, is follow through and being consistent. So I know from my experience that um, the men that I dated would make promises and they would agree to do things. And then they either would, I wouldn't say ghost, (laughs) but um, just not follow through. And there were a lot of broken promises. And now I realize that that happened because they were anxious about something that they had agreed to do. And it might have been something social and they they just didn't want to be around all those people or do that particular thing. But instead of saying that to me in a nice, kind way, they made excuses of why they weren't able to go anymore or just didn't show up or showed up an hour late. I mean, I remember a New Year's party where my ex, they had gotten out of work at three o'clock he didn't show up for the New Year's party until about 11.45 p.m., okay? I was livid. What I realized is he did not want to be engaged in the party. He just wanted to hang out by himself. I don't know if he had had a bad day at work or what was going on, but that was pissed me off because I took it personal. Mm-hmm. So have you had in dating some of the men situations where they don't follow through or they're not consistent or they make promises and and you know doesn't happen even though they were very genuine when they said it yes and I I will admit that I'm hypersensitive to this because it's one of my pet peeves and you and I have discussed this before mine too (laughs) it's an integrity thing for me yeah um it's a respect thing like don't say you're going to do something and then not do it unless you then... I mean, obviously, things change. Plans right. change. You can't do things. You get sick. What have you. But then communicate right. that. Um, and I think that might be the sticking point for someone who's on the spectrum is maybe they're embarrassed. Maybe they're... I don't know. There are reasons why they may not feel free or open to explain. And like you said, maybe they feel like they're going to be made fun of or looked down upon for the reasons why they couldn't follow through. Um, but yeah, that's a big thing for me. And yes, that has definitely happened. If you say you're going to be someplace at a certain time, be at that place. If you're going to do something with me, for me, mm-hmm. what have you, whatever it is, if you can't do it, 
let me know that you can't do it and let's have a conversation about it because it just starts to feel not good. It starts right. to feel almost like you're you're overlooking me, disrespecting disrespecting me, taking me for advantage. Yes. Um take me for granted rather, you know, those things when it may not necessarily be that. Right. Um so yeah, yeah. there there might be more reasons behind why folks do things. So um communication. Communication is key. And and even if like I remember when um one of the guys I was dating, he decided on his own um, that our relationship was going to end. No discussion with me. We'd been dating for almost a year. Okay. No discussion with me. Um, we'd gotten into a fight. I thought we had resolved things, but he had something playing in his head. And um Instead of having a conversation, because he couldn't handle the emotion, he couldn't, absolutely could not, he just decided, I'm done. And I've heard other friends where that has happened, because the man or partner they're with just can't handle the emotions, so they're just going to move on. And I just want folks to know, you know, whether you're on this spectrum or not, that hurts. And it hurts really bad. Um, and so any opportunity you have to communicate, even if it's a text or a voicemail message, but it'd be better if it was in person. Um, if things aren't working out, please share. And then on the, if you make a date, if you make an arrangement or there's an arrangement to get together and you can't follow through, please share that in the moment. Like, you know, texting, calling, don't ignore the person or ghost the person, then come back a few days later and wonder why they're pissed at you. Communication is so important and clear communication. And then if you break a date once for whatever reason, whether it's anxiety or, you know, you're done with your social quota and you've had enough or you have no more spoons for the day or whatever. If you do that on a regular basis, it's going to be very, very hard to have a relationship with that person because they're going to lose trust in your word. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really hard one. So what we talked about today are a lot of different things that may be challenges on dating apps, experiences that people have had, and there are a lot of wounded souls out there, Mm -hmm. whether they're the autistic person or the non-autistic person, and we're wounding each other again and again and again. What do you think, Michelle? Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard out there. We all have some baggage. We all do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm dragging my baggage into a relationship and you're bringing yours. <laughs> right. You know, and it's just a matter of whether... I heard a comedian once say, like, marriage is like, I put up with your crap, you put up with my crap. <laughs> you know, and you just decide how much crap you can stand to put up with, you right. know, um, because we all have some of it. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough out there and it's getting harder and harder the way the world is today. You know, we're more technology driven. We're more device driven. Mm-hmm. You know, we spend a lot of screen time and we don't spend a lot of FaceTime, like real FaceTime, not the app. Right. You know, <laughs> right. um, and so it, it, we get a little bit more accustomed to dealing with black and white. You type in a word on the computer mm-hmm. and, you know, the word pops up as opposed to human beings that are much more gray and multifaceted and multi-layered. Um, you know, that's where the communication comes in, making sure that you are, you know, hearing what you think you're hearing and communicating what you think you're communicating because most people are not black and white. I don't know too many people that are that easy to figure out. Even someone who's on the spectrum, they're all different, right? right. That's why it's a spectrum. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, there's different people manifested in different ways. So, um, really important to sp- take the time, invest the time to communicate well and clearly, thoughtfully. Yeah. yeah. And if you're overloaded emotionally or with sensory issues and you can't communicate exactly what you want in the moment, 
send a text. I'm so sorry. Start with that. But I am overloaded today. I just, I'm going to have to break our date. Or I need a few days away from the dating apps, but I'm still interested in talking to you. I, I will be back in touch next week. If you are interested in people, let them know in a nice, kind way. Not, you know, you don't have to recite a bunch of stuff to them. Don't ghost people. <laughs> let them know, you know, you're, if, especially if you've been talking for days or weeks. You know, don't just like drop off the earth, which has happened numerous times, times. for both so, of so us. So many times. And we're amazing. Like, I don't get it. What, what's the problem? I don't know. Yeah, so. <laughs> I, I will say this. I think that everybody, you know, on the spectrum or not, I, I think everybody should have a friend of the opposite sex mm-hmm. that they could run a response by if they're not sure how it's going to be taken. Mm. So I would say if you're in the spectrum... And you're afraid maybe I'm going to send something that comes off a little blunt and harsh and then it has the opposite effect of what I was trying to do. Now the person is pissed off as opposed to understanding me more. Maybe have your, you know, non-spectrum opposite sex friend send the text to them first and see how it lands on them. Ooh, <laughs> and, like they, and they tell you like, nah, man, this is, <laughs> no, this is not going to work. Let me help you rephrase this or try again or maybe do this thing, which will soften it up a little bit. I, I'm a huge fan of role play where you kind of practice it before you have to do it. You know, you work on it and then you send it out. You don't necessarily send the first draft. Uh, but yeah, if you have a friend, they can look at it and say, mm, I know what you meant to say, right. but that's not how it's coming off. Yeah. You know, I think that's also valuable. Yeah, there you go. Coaching and coaching from have at least one friend of the opposite sex who's not on the spectrum. Or in our case, where we're super like emotional and we want to get deep about, you know, emotions, have somebody who is on the spectrum who's more logical and rational um, look at what we are trying to say. I know with my ex, I used to go on and on and on about emotional stuff. And, you know, deer in headlights, overwhelming. <laughs> and um, sometimes I used to have him read letters that I was writing or things, proposals that I was putting together because he could he could streamline it in a way that I couldn't because I had all this motion, emotion attached Flowery, to it. Flowery, yeah, exactly. verbose. And, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, Michelle, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's been a pleasure. So we, some of this was done, you know, tongue-in-cheek. Some of it was done to be informative. But please know that none of this is done to be judgmental. Michelle and I know we can be emotional basket cases at times. <laughs> we can be, we can ask 50 questions in an hour and expect answers to all 50 questions. So we know we have our limitations and we have our challenges and we have our differences. So we hope this is helpful and we'll be back with another episode in the future. Maybe Michelle will join me. Maybe. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.